Welcome to the Think Christian Podcast, where we talk about faith and popular culture, because there's no such thing as secular. I'm Josh Larson, editor over at thinkchristian.net and your host. We'll get to the show in just a second here, but first, I wanted to say thanks to those of you who listen on Spotify and have given us a star rating. We are growing our audience there, and those ratings do really help us raise our profile. Now, you can only give a rating if you're listening on the mobile app. So if you are on your phone right now, here's how you can do it. On the episode player screen, click on our show name. It should be up there at the top. That'll bring you to our show page where you'll see an option to give us some stars. I mean, it's up to you, but five stars would be great. Thank you so much. All right, let's get to this week's show and bring on a couple of guys who are almost as cute as Grogu, Claude Acho and J.R. Foresteros. I've got Claude Acho and J.R. Foresteros here, and we're going to start things with a little game I used to play back on my block as a kid. So this is Crestwood, Illinois, outside of Chicago. Think think of the 1980s where this went on. We're going to pretend we're Star Wars characters, okay? We get to play Star Wars characters. And the first thing you have to do, of course, is fight over who gets to play who. So when I was a kid, once Han Solo was off the table, it was chaos, you know, just chaos. Um, we are, though, here to talk about The Mandalorian Season 3. So I'm going to limit it to characters who have appeared in this series, okay? So not original Star Wars characters, just ones we've met or have appeared in The Mandalorian. I'm going to be nice, go last. So I'll do this alphabetically by last name. That means Claude. You are up first. Pretend you're eight again. You're running around <laughs> with, um, oh, man. I, you know, maybe your dorky friends as as I was. Who do you choose? You're going to you're gonna go obvious and pick Pedro Pascal's title character, Mando himself, Din Djarin, or you go in another direction? I, I think it, it has it has to be Mando himself. It, ha, it has to. I feel like that's, for, for kids, hopefully kids are still playing outside these days, and I think if, if they are, that, that's got to be, that's got to be the, the one people fight over. So that's what I'm going to go with. All right. He's kind of the Han Solo in this situation. Exactly. I get it. I get it. Exactly. How about you, JR? Well, I really want to be the mythosaur. But uh, since good that, pick, that, <laughs> that won't hey, really that's... play the best, I'll be uh, Paz Vizsla, the, the real bulky Mando. I liked him in the last few episodes. So Yeah, he's, yeah. The, he's the one. He's, he's got the bigger gun on his back. And that he just carries around Schwarzenegger style. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. All right. I feel like I can't lose here because all I want out of this exercise is a jet pack. So I'm able to take any member of that Mandalorian covert, you know, you've already pulled one off the table there, JR. I don't think I want to be the armorer. I don't want to be stuck, you know, in a cave forging. So I, I, that's as deep as my knowledge goes of all the other Mandalorians. So maybe the one who's got that rust orangish, orangish helmet and then the, the maroon breastplate. I like that color scheme. So whoever yes. that is. No, no, uh, no, no Bo-Katan. No, I, I don't think I'm going to go Bo-Katan. I do think, I mean, her helmet is pretty cool though with the etching yeah. on it. So I do like that, but I don't think I could pull off that headband or whatever it is she's wearing when she takes the helmet off. So <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That, that might not work for me. So, all right. This is, you know, kind of gets us to what I want from a good episode of the Mandalorian. I do want jetpacks in every episode. I want creatures. You mentioned one already, JR. 
I also loved, I think it's episode four in this season where the covert is attacked by that giant raptor or whatever it is. That's the good stuff. I want Ludwig Gorenson's rousing, rumbling score. And yes, I need a lot of Grogu. I need, you know, the cute <laughs> green guy formerly known as Baby Yoda. So those are my requirements. I'm curious what the two of you look for in a good episode of The Mandalorian. And do you think that season three has uh, been delivering so far? I should say we're there are a couple of episodes left as we record this. Yeah. Well, real quick, Josh, are you dreading the day when Grogu takes the vows and has to cover his face? I mean, that I think that's pointless, and they might as well cancel the <laughs> series if that's what happens. I yes. was a little nervous they were going there early in the season. I was like, oh, you can't shoot yourself you can't. like that. No, you can't. No, <laughs> half the viewership will abandon immediately. Yeah. Yeah. What What do you say though, Jr. About uh, uh, your favorite Mandalorian elements and how you think season three is doing? You know, anytime they do the spaghetti western thing, I'm in. Just I, you know, they they have they have done so many variations on that theme so far in this show, and I'm I'm here for it. Yeah. I love the Magnificent Seven stuff that they did. I think that was well, really, they've done it. You know, in both of the previous two seasons. That was that was so much fun. You know, the, the ragtag band of adventurers who, you know, maybe don't even all like each other, but come together for the common good. Like, yes, that is that is just my favorite kind of storytelling. And I think Mandalorian has done that really, really well. So okay. in addition to all the stuff you said, which I think is is right there, you know, uh, my wife is a huge creature fan. And yeah, so this season has been pure joy for her. As every, it seems like every episode we get another big slimy something. Uh, so, yeah, like it's it's been great. Nice. Yeah, I I, I think um, this is a good question because there's been a few episodes where it's just felt different than normal. Like it hasn't felt like the man, like what I expect from the Mandalorian. And as someone who does enjoy Star Wars, but at the same time, I've sort of been resistant to kind of like the seventeen thousand you know spinoff shows. So, so there's some episodes where I'm like, this is interesting, but this is not what I expect from the show. And I've read online that people have said, hey, this is more kind of like the political intrigue. This is more like one of the other shows, you know? I, I've been thinking about what I don't like in a, in a Mandalorian episode. And that's when we get away from the Mandalorians. Like when it feels like I'm with these other characters that I don't really actually, you know, they were they were around maybe in season one or two and we're getting into kind of like other parts of um, kind of like the galaxy or different cities, uh, some of the political intrigue, which is interesting, but I find myself getting frustrated when, I, when I'm kind of like, you know, it feels like two thirds through the episode. I'm kind of like, okay, where's, you know, what's Mando, what's Mando doing? Like who's, mm -hmm. you know, where are the foundlings and all that sort of stuff. So, so I've thought about that too. And, and I, f I feel like it's both kind of a, a testament to kind of like just, yeah, Star Wars as a universe is really interesting, but also at the same time, I, I've realized like, oh, I have expectations that I, I kind of, I want to see the creatures, you know, I don't want to see episodes where at certain points, the show sometimes feels like kind of a list of errands, like, oh, Mando's got to go over here and he's got to pick up this, you know, computer chip for this, you know, for for this draw. I'm like, okay, come on. Like I, I ran errands all day this today, you know, I, I don't want to watch, I don't want to watch these characters do that. But at the same time, yeah, I, I, I think there's, I'm interested in the kind of the political intrigue stuff, but I, I want to stick with those characters. I, I really have enjoyed getting deeper into sort of the lore of uh, kind of the religious order of, of the Mandalorians, like that sort of stuff, the battle, the creatures kind of like going deeper there in that world has been, I think makes a good episode for me. So it's a, it kind of requires some fine tuning, I feel like. Yeah, it's a delicate balance. That one episode where it's almost entirely set on Coruscant with characters yeah, we've the hardly convert. met. 
Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I'm with you. Like that one, I just, I could see having watched Andor in particular, how it kind of relates exploring similar themes, but that's not what I'm looking for from this show. At the same time, as you said, I don't want it to just be uh, a list of errands that Mando has to go and achieve. I like some sort of balance between those Mm -hmm. two those two things. And I'm with you, Claude, in terms of the increasing interest in the religious code that the Mandalorian is a part of. And maybe I should back up just a little bit and kind of set the stage for this season, because I was one of those folks who did get confused as this third season began. I never finished the whole series, The Book of Boba Fett. And I watched a couple of those. I made, and, me neither. <laughs> yeah, just just kind of I drifted away. So I missed apparently these crucial episodes where Din Jaren is reunited with Grogu after you know season two of The Mandalorian. They had separated, so he's reunited. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, I this mean, is, I know this it's is hard important. Enough, it's hard <laughs> enough to keep up with the series we're invested in, right? Let alone keep up with how they've been related or the story has been told in other series. So. So, yeah, this is why they're back together again at the start of season three in terms of Din and Grogu. And also, the essential mission at the beginning here is Mando is trying to redeem himself for betraying the Mandalorian way and removing his helmet, which he does in season two. Now, according to tradition, this redemption can only happen by bathing in the hallowed waters on the planet of Mandalore. So we've already mentioned, I think, the title of one of these episodes, The the Convert. I think an earlier one is called The Apostate, and this bath Mando has to take takes place in an underground cavern called The Living Waters. So my question is, has the Mandalorian only gotten more religious in season three, and is that a good thing? Claude's given us, given us a yes, I think. We'll come back to you, Claude. You could flesh that out a little bit more, but JR, how do you feel about this increasing interest in the religious elements of The Mandalorian? I think it's interesting, particularly given our cultural moment, when fewer and fewer people are interested in organized religion of any kind. You had a moment, I think, in season two when Mando meets Bo-Katan and her other helmetless Mandos who laugh at him and are like, oh, you're part of that cult, you know, and brushes off, you know, his his sect as this extremist uh, sort of fundamentalist kind of. Uh, Mandalorianism. And so I thought, oh, we're we're going to be sort of villainizing or at least uh satirizing right these these other Mandalorians. And then again, you have the moment at the end of season 2 where he does take his helmet off because it's the only way he can save Grogu. And I think either we talked about it on the podcast or I wrote about it for TC, this idea that That's like right. yeah. when it comes down to the rules of religion versus the purpose of religion, which for Mandalorianism is never take off the helmet versus protect the foundlings at any cost. He chooses the, the love, right? The, the heart, the purpose over the rules. And, and that's what Jesus does. Right. But then again, you, as you point out in this season, he comes back to his sect and they're all like, "Mm -mm, you're, you're no longer one of us. So there's, there's this inflexibility and rigidity that again, I kept expecting to be undermined. And instead it's gone the opposite direction where we have Bo-Katan when she takes Mando into the pool while it goes in to, to rescue him and comes face to face with the mythosaur. She has this sort of mystical conversion experience. So when she comes back and and the armorer says, not only is, is Din redeemed, but so is Bo-Katan. And she's like, well, I, uh, but, I, but I, I didn't, I didn't, 
I, I what no and she goes well have you taken your helmet off and Bo's like no she's like all right well you're redeemed whether you wanted to be or not in Jaren, you are redeemed this is the way this, this is, is the, the way. way and bo-katan crees by creed you too are redeemed but i do not walk the way did you bathe in the waters? I did. And have you removed your helmet since? No, I have not. Then you may join our covert and live as your ancestors once did. You may leave any time you wish. Until then, you are one of us. Welcome, Bo-Katan of Clan Crees. This is the way. This, this is, is the way. way. And then Bo runs with it to the point that yeah. the end of the most recent mm-hmm. episode where the founder tells her to take her helmet off and go back out as an apostle to the rest of the scattered Mandalorian tribes has this like weightiness for Bo yeah. that I found really uh, uncynical and surprising that there was so much affection for and reverence for what had been previously previously portrayed as a extremist or fundamentalist sort of sect, you know? And I felt like the whole tone of the show towards this, towards Mando's sect of Mandalorians really shifted this season in a way that it, that it didn't bother me necessarily. I think particularly because of that last scene between the, the armorer and Bo. You know, where the armorer says, like, there are times when it's time to take your helmet off. And I was like, okay, okay, right? So we're, we're like, backing <laughs> away from the, like, rigid, unbending extremism of what we were previously led to believe this was. Uh, so I'm really interested to see where that goes. Because it's certainly not what I expected from the first two seasons of the show in, in good ways. Okaton Kreese is going off to bring other Mandalorians in exile to us so that we may join together once again. But she shows her face. Okaton walks both worlds. And she can bring all tribes together. Yeah, that tension they have started exploring since season two. And I actually looked up that post you wrote for Think Christian, JR, because I remember you touching on this, but the distinction basically between faithfulness and fundamentalism. And here's something you wrote there, which I think really does apply. When our impulse to mercy and our impulse to righteousness conflict, choosing mercy is how we remain righteous. And I think that's something that was very evidenced in season two and is also being interrogated a little bit. And what does that look like now for Bo-Katan in, in season three? How about you, Claude? What, you, you seem to hint that you appreciated the, the continued interest in some of these lines. So what's, what stood out to you about season three on this end? It, 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 it's really appealed to me. Yeah. I, I, found, I found it really moving, really interesting. And I, I think just, uh, like very textured and kind of like full exploration of religious community, religious life, and like thick community. I think that's the other thing that's really interesting, and and maybe this is part partly why the show 
maybe some of its appeal where, you know, uh, as you mentioned, there are a lot of people, you know, in our in our American context that are yeah, not don't don't affiliate as, as religious in any form. And but yet, you know, obviously the show is wildly popular and there's still something about its sort of lore that's compelling where, you know, I'm thinking even of a, the recent episode where you, you talked about in your, your your write-up on season two of kind of mercy and faithfulness. But even there's this, this moment where uh, the Mandalorians have this chance to sort of intercede and to help those in need. But those who are in need had had, had actually been on uh, in conflict with them. And there's a sort of speech by one of the characters that uh, sort of implies like, we're not going to help. Why would we do that? But then they actually say, no, we, we are going to do that because this is the way. Like we do sacrifice for others. So I think there's something about kind of thick community that's built around these sort of vows that that if held rightly really are compelling, you know, and, and, and life-giving and kind of call us up into a purpose that really is deeper than anything we could find on our own. So, so I really like that. I really found myself really interested in sort of Bo-Katan, again, seeing, uh, seeing the mythosaur and kind of like, kind of skeptic and kind of like, okay, what is this really going to mean for me? And then, you know, and now being kind of sent out to sort of negotiate between these two worlds, right? And then kind of really given this commission. So I, I find it really interesting. And I even think too, pastorally of sort of like, how do you how do you form communities in this way, right? How do you invite people into communities that are deep and the commitment is is true and is thick, not in a toxic way, but in a but in a real way, you know? And it feels like uh, it feels really difficult. So I'm always fascinated when I see sort of kind of the, these uh, depictions of kind of religious community and life together that that is deeply formational, but is moving in a purpose that that's good. Obviously, that'll be complicated as the show continues, but but I find it really compelling. I think you know when you said. Thick in a in a non toxic way. I think the two places I see that in this season are where Bo and Mando, without question or thought for their own safety, go above and beyond. It, it literally, I guess, to save the kid that's taken by the the big raptor. Yeah. And then also when Mando makes the plea to go back and and save the planet that's being attacked by the pirate, my boy exactly. Paz stands up and he gives this big speech, which that's makes right. it sound like. That's right. He's not like he's not going to be there. And then yeah. he's like, but but they saved my kid. And this is the way. And everyone's like, this is the way. Right. You know? And so you yep. see that, like, the thick community, like, even is able to overcome, I think, well-earned animosity. You know, the, yes. the governor, the governor did at one point try to kill the Mandalorians. And so there's some, uh, I think, earned prejudice there against him. And yet because of the community's rich life together. Den's plea is able to overcome even their prejudices to do what obviously we are hoping he does and, yep. and, you know, go with, go with Din to save the day. And yeah, I just don't think you see that in communities that have thin networks and relationships. I'm not going mm-hmm. to put my own life at risk for you if we don't have that kind of thick discipling kind of life together. Yeah. This idea of thick community is great. And I think it's being expanded upon in the last episode that we were able to watch, The Pirate, where they do return, as you were saying, JR, to come to the aid of of this planet that previously looked down upon them. But there's also this suggestion that they're going to think about how to live within that community as their own community. So it's this distinction of very different from living in the caves on their own, you know, planet. Hidden away, right? Yeah. Right. Yep. Just following their own procedures and rules. Now it's about being part of a larger community 
yet staying and retaining the thickness of of their own. I think that's an, an interesting tension as well. And I'm with you both in terms of Bo-Katan becoming such a fascinating character in this season. Katie Sackhoff, we should mention, uh, plays Bo-Katan. And yeah, it's been this, this transformation that isn't entirely willing. As, as you described, she, when Din goes into the waters and doesn't expect them to see be so deep. So he sinks to the bottom. She dives in to save him. Doesn't give it a thought, right? She's she's not thinking about these waters having any significance. As a matter of fact, at that point, she would deny that they do, right? She's total skeptic. Wasn't her intention, but yeah, she's bathed too. And it leads to that surprising exchange between her and the armor, the armor played by Emily Swallow, who's kind of like the Mandalorian Covert's spiritual guide. Mm-hmm. And I love how... Bo-Katan's redemption, if you want to think about it that way, is portrayed as this unexpected gift that she now has the choice, this is how the armor puts it, to accept or reject it. And that very much made me think of like Paul's words in Romans 5, talking about while we were still sinners, Mm. Christ died for us. And it resonated also with a passage in a book I just finished uh, by Otis Moss III. He's pastor of Trinity United Church of Christ here in Chicago. And uh, in there, I came across this, this wonderful description. He wrote, mercy is only mercy when someone is guilty. Grace is only grace when it's unwarranted. The thing you should not receive, yet receive anyway. And this is kind of what Bo-Katan is facing in that scene, right? You didn't go for this. You didn't ask for this. It was given to you. And now what's going to be your response? What is What is your choice going to be? in the context of this story in terms of keeping your helmet on or not, right? But then, JR, you mentioned that wonderful moment in the most recent episode where these two revisit again and the armor, yeah, I think you said an apostle, right? Almost charges her with being an apostle. And how is she going to do that? By wearing the helmet when it's fitting, taking it off when it's fitting. And I, I just thought I didn't see that coming at well. That was a surprise <laughs> to me, either. right? Me neither. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it really resonates with Paul becoming all things to all people, right? He's Absolutely. like, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll eat, I'll eat bacon if it helps me connect with the Gentiles, and I won't if it helps me connect with the Jews. And you know, by by all means, I'm going to save some. Yeah, it's it's really it's. That whole, I really love the way the mythosaur kind of element was depicted in the show as well and what that means for Bo-Katan because it is sort of this kind of, this moment that brings her, and, and obviously entrance into the living waters, this moment that brings her sort of like back into the fold. But then within that same moment, you do really have this sense that because she saw it and Mando didn't, that there's also this sort of like calling on her, right? This sort mm. of like, this is going to come back and have a sort of directional purpose for her, you know, and and she, you could tell she's sort of like working that out. Like, do I really want that or not? So I, so I love that this sort of gift of kind of mercy, grace, this kind of thing that this unexpected kind of intrusion of, of, of almost this sort of miracle is not just sort of a kind of renewing of her status within the community, but actually has this sort of vocational dynamic as well, right? Which obviously we, we know the parallels for Israel's story and what, what they are meant to be as a light to the world as well. Um, but I, I just I just think that's just, it's just really compelling, you know, it's really great storytelling. So yeah, I, f- I found that really profound. Anything else we should we should cover here? I mean, I, I do want to note that I'm increasingly enjoying the fact that they're still using largely a puppet for Grogu. Um, I think Legacy Effects is is uh, the group that's behind that. It's just so endearingly real, those facial expressions. I 
most of the emotion is in those ears, so they better not cover them up with a helmet because that's where <laughs> all the work is being done. Reminds me of Kermit holes the in Frogs. I, I guess they could, couldn't they? <laughs> it would just yeah. look really weird. It'd look weird, but that's probably what they But you do. know, Pedro, Pedro has has had his face. I mean, that's been one of the big, kind of the big headlines yeah. of this whole series is you put, you get Pedro Pascal and then you stick a helmet on him. You never see his face, right? Yeah. I know. But even from the very beginning in season one, you, he brought a physicality to the, you know, his movements and he he's able to define a character by movement in a way that not all actors can. And I think it's almost the more work he's done and we've seen him be incredibly funny, like in the Nicolas Cage film, that now it seems even stranger that he's stuck <laughs> right. in that helmet, right? But yeah, he's, he's, he's really great in it. But yeah, anything else you guys wanted to touch on? I would say, or I'll go real quick. I would say in the Foundling episode, there's just these flashes of sort of Grogu's kind of like journey to where he is now and some of the lightsaber at like, I mean, there's just stuff is like, I mean, it's awesome, you know? So um, I've really enjoyed that. I, I hope we'll see that that's the sort of when it go when the show goes away from the Mandalorians, like that's that's what I that's what I lean into if it's going to move away from some of those characters. Um, okay. So I just thought that was great, and I I hope I know we got maybe two or two or, th- or three more uh, left in the season. I, I'd love to see a little more of that. Go ahead, Jr. Oh, I was just going to comment on the role that trauma is playing in this season. Got I think in that same episode, Claude, we got Grogu finally remembering the scene from episode three where Anakin Skywalker comes into the Jedi temple and kills all of the, the Jedi younglings. Look at you making all these, making all these connections for, yeah. for those of us with foggy memories. Continue. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> uh, but, but we, you know, we see, I, I think, I think it's maybe the first time we really see a lot of depth to Grogu as a character. I think the other closest sounds like the episode that either of you saw in book of Boba Fett, where he's training with Luke Skywalker and Luke gives him the choice. Do you want to stay in tr- with me and train to become a Jedi? Or do you want to go back and be- become a Mandalorian? And Grogu chooses to to go back to Mando. So, so that's like the, that was like kind of the first time we really saw Grogu making a choice, right? Exhibiting mm-hmm. some kind of autonomy other than like that thing looks good and I want to eat it. Right. So now in this, in this season, now we get, we see that Grogu remembers these things. We see that he has been, scarred by the things that we know have hurt so many of the other Jedi that are still kind of floating around. And then of course we have that backed up against the fact that the Mandalorians as a whole are a people in exile, you know, Mandalore, they can't live there anymore. And I'm still very unclear because I, I genuinely thought at the end of last season, when it became clear, or maybe it was in Book of Boba Fett, whenever it became clear that Mando's new goal was to go bathe in the living waters uh, under the under Mandalore, I was like, oh, that's going to be like the whole plot of season three, because apparently whatever happened to the, the planet of Mandalore is so bad that, you know, and then, nope, <laughs> we got that out of the way real fast. I was right. like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm still very unclear why they can't just live on the planet like that mm. that is that doesn't make a lot of sense to me at this point star wars fans feel free to at me and explain it to me i will happily hear i mean there are references it to, to it being like spoiled by mining right i think something like that but uh, when we're there it right, doesn't look right. quite as desolate so i see what you're saying well and from what i understand and this is where you know if we had a real star wars fan on the podcast they could help us out i think that that there was a war and the surface of the planet was like blasted 
like explicitly yeah, to try right. to to try to destroy the Mandalorians. So I kept I kept watching this season, particularly with the baptism ritual and all of the concern for sacred land and who are we if we're not a people of our land anymore. To me, it felt very much like Israel in the wake of the exile. You know, after Babylon had destroyed the temple and destroyed Jerusalem and, you know, forcibly removed a, a large number of the people. And I mean, this is, you know, the, for students of religion know that this is the this is the time when what we call the Old Testament really came to be. Because before that, it was just, you know, a bunch of documents that they all had sort of floating around, but there was not a a single codex that held them all because there didn't need to be, right? It wasn't until the institutions were destroyed and all of that was no longer there that some of the scholars of Israel said, you know, if we want to preserve who we are as a people, we need to bind these things together. And mm-hmm. I think about sometimes how many cultures have just vanished from the face of the earth in the wake of colonialism and conquest because they didn't do that. You know, and and, and ancient Israel is maybe one of the only cultures we've ever seen that has preserved their religion and their faith and pass them down through history to the point that we now all can participate in that in a meaningful way. And I just, I I've been watching what's going on with this sect of Mandalorians kind of through those eyes. Cause in some ways yeah. they, they do feel a little bit like the different religions uh, the different strains of Judaism in Jesus's day that are arguing over, you know, is it the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the Essenes mm-hmm. who, who, who is the true heir to the way of Moses, right? Who who mm-hmm. are the true children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And then, of course, you throw Jesus and Paul into that mix, and that question gets even more complicated. And I just, I don't know, I really enjoy watching all that play out in a space opera. I'm like, who who would have thought? <laughs> you know? yeah. If you told me that as a kid, I would have said, I don't understand any of the words you just said. If you told me that in college, <laughs> I would have said, there's no way that that's going to happen in a Star Wars show. And yet, here we are, right? We're getting to see a lot of these like deeply human religious questions play out in this, I think a really provocative way. And it is all centered around trauma. You know, what happens when the world comes to an end and we find that God is faithful even past the end of the world. And I, again, I think that resonates so much right now because a lot of us feel like we're, I don't want to say it in a, in the way that we're like, we're in the end times, but like it does feel apocalyptic and that mm-hmm. the way things have been just doesn't seem sustainable anymore in a lot of ways. And I think a lot, uh, a lot of, People, not just believers, but a lot of people are just sort of wondering how we can survive the end of an age. And and Mandalorian is a good pointer back for me to the fact that this is not the first time that people have got have experienced the end of things. And the good news of the Bible, you know, all the way literally to the book of Revelation is this end is not the end. And and we're going to be okay because of who God is and and God's faithfulness to us, not necessarily our ability to. Uh, navigate the ups and downs of the apocalypse. That preservation aspect you were talking about, you know, in terms of a chosen people who are trying to retain the right way, the true way, definitely there's a parallel there with this sect that Mando is a part of, right? It's it's kind of like the positive side of the fundamentalism that they yeah, also express right. is that they're able, because they are in a way, trying to retain that purity, there's a preservation aspect of it that has some goodness to it as well. And that's that's what the Pharisees started out as, right? And, and in many ways, even I think some of the the best Pharisees in Jesus' day, like Nicodemus, were still embodying that. Like that, yeah, in the absence of a faithful priesthood, in the absence of faithful kings, 
what does it mean for us to really take the covenant seriously? And and I think Mandalorian so far has shown the good and, the, like you said, the good and the bad sides of that, right? How it can be beautiful and can help us preserve faith, but then how also it can become ugly and legalistic and all, all of the things we typically criticize Pharisees for. Right, right. right. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm going to go back. I think I watched that episode of the Book of Boba Fett, so I can, <laughs> do, you know, be a little more filled in on um, what I'm it's, missing. It's, it's got lots of Grogu, Josh. You'll yeah, love that's it. what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> if there's, yeah, if there's more Grogu, I am all in. If listeners want to go back and do some catch up and read that post that we've been talking about, where Jr. wrote about season two, you can find that over at thinkchristian.net and. For more Mandalorian talk, uh, we did on episode 22, Sarah Welch Larson was on with me and we talked about season one. So we've been keeping track of this series and I think it's been earning uh, that attention and paying that back with good dividends, I would say. That episode actually, Claude, I don't know if you remember this, but you were on that episode and you and I talked Rise of Skywalker. Doesn't that feel like yeah. it's 10 years ago? I, I, I reread that. I, I skimmed through the the, the uh, post I did for for us on that. Um, yeah, you wrote about, about Star it too, Wars. right? Yeah, yeah. And that was one of one of my favorite things that I've wrote uh that that I've that I've written. Um and I was very, very happy to have that task, such a big task. And yeah, that I, I really uh yeah, enjoyed reflecting on that. Yeah. So we've we've got some talk about Rise of Skywalker and we've got your post on it. So people can look for that. Otherwise, looking ahead. Uh, what are the two of you up to, Claude? Your your most recent post for us on My Hero Academia season six, uh, that is on the website. So thanks for doing that. Anything else you want to mention or point folks to? Not really. Thanks for letting me write about my favorite anime manga and get an excuse to do that. I just I feel like yeah. that's been in, been in me for like five years, so I finally got it out. So <laughs> awesome. uh, I'm happy. Every time we do that, we I, we hear from folks who are like. Yeah, you should do more on anime. You guys should, uh, and and we want to. There's just there's a ton of it. There's a um, lot. I'm going to help this year. Out there. I'm going to help this year. Trust me. Awesome. I like to hear that. How about you, Jr. What are what are you all up to on the fascinating podcast? Well, so we actually just interviewed Henry Gayden, who is the writer of Shazam: Fury of the Gods, and then I'm uh, about to turn into you my first draft of my TC article on that film. So that's right. I'm glad you mentioned that. I I forgot that's on the way. So I'll look out for that. I assume if you listen to this podcast, you are like marginally interested in movies. And Henry is so fun because he was actually crew on uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3. And okay. so he, he even taught, they, I don't know if you've noticed, but since Toby came back in Spider-Man No Way Home, they've been real loosey-goosey now about talking about like all the things from that franchise. And so he talked a little bit about that, uh, including why emo Spidey hair happened. There was a surprising <laughs> wow. thing about that. But also he talks a lot about how, like what, it, what it's like to write a big blockbuster film in a shared like comic book universe. So it, I don't know, it was just a really interesting conversation and it actually informed my article quite a bit. So I was really nice. excited to, uh, to be working on both of those simultaneously. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, maybe that Shazam piece will be up by the time this episode airs. If not, it will be shortly uh, after. So, hey, this was good. I was able to talk to both of you. Thanks for coming on the show. It was delightful. Appreciate Thank it. You. Anytime we talk Star Wars, I like to remind listeners that we have a Theology of Star Wars ebook. It features some amazing original illustrations by Skylar Roseboom, and you can get it for free at thinkchristian.net slash Star Wars. So in addition to those illustrations, we've got essays on the nine Skywalker-centric feature films in the series. 
So that's thinkchristian.net slash Star Wars if you want to get that for free. If you'd like to connect with us about the show or any of the things we talked about on this episode, we are on Twitter and Facebook. You can find us at Think Christian, and you can always email us as well. Send those notes to tcpodcast at thinkchristian.net. And if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel yet, just search for the Think Christian Podcast on YouTube. You'll find video versions of this episode. Hi there if you're watching now, plus a lot of other video content. The TC Podcast is a listener-supported program of Reframe Ministries, a family of programs designed to help you see your whole life reframed by God's gospel story. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our audio engineer and post-production supervisor is John Reeder, and Reframe's co-director overseeing content strategy is Robin Basslin. I'm Josh Larson. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to consider how another corner of our pop culture fandom connects with our faith.